I'm glad you're here, guys. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, this is not going to waste your time this morning. This is, uh, this is a hot message, and, and uh, I, I started on it a couple of weeks ago, and then um, today, or last, last night, actually, I finished it up, and, uh, well, yesterday afternoon. Uh, well, I tried, let me just tell you, I tried to finish it up here. Any of y'all know Marvin? Yeah, wait. So Marvin shows up last night, and so I had to finish it after I got home, after I dealt with Marvin. But anyway, uh, such is a pastor's life. But uh, this, the, the, the big idea is fixing you is killing me, all right? And so hopefully you guys can, can get something out of this. The questions are a little bit different on your tables this morning. You'll see there are several questions, and there are a lot of yes-no questions. And if you're a pastor, one thing that we're taught is you never... You never ask yes or no questions because people uh, need to think about and process the answers that they give. But uh, there are some yes, no questions for you this morning. And don't answer those aloud unless you just want to. But uh, and then it'll get on down into the meat of the matter. But join me in a word of prayer as we uh, jump into the second message here in Judge Not. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for this day, for these men. Lord, as we walk through this, uh, Lord, teach us how to be healthy in our own lives so that we can be a reflection of you in someone else's life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so last week we covered, we started up, what is judgment? And judgment is, uh, as, you, as you found out last week, is really God's, God's way, right? It's really his entitlement to be the one to judge, not necessarily us, for sure. So only God has the right to judge. He alone knows why people do what they do. And we talked about rebuking others and that word in the Greek, rebuke. You can go back and listen to that message. But today, as I said before, this is called the fixer. Fixing you is killing me. All right? And I can just tell you what this looks like in a pastor's life. So, so last night, uh, I was going through my phone this morning just to see because I couldn't remember how many came in. I had three text messages from people calling me who were in desperate need. Uh, or texting me who are in need. Now, I can say that this morning, and it's safe to say that here. Uh, I, I, don't worry, I'm not going to call anyone out, because all three of them, uh, none of them live in this zip code, and none of them uh, have our same area code. So it's safe to say that, but it's, it's a constant request for someone who needs help to call a pastor um, to, to look right for some biblical guidance, and, and that's okay, but here's what they have to understand, that in order for me to even help you, I have to be healthy myself. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, do all, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. So when you read that, I would say that uh, sometimes we don't live in peace with everyone. Sometimes our spouses, all right, men, we're all men in here, Sometimes your spouses, I'm not talking about mine, she might listen to this, right? But sometimes your spouses create problems in your home. Uh, sometimes uh, people that we work with, right, create problems in our home. There's no doubt that problems tend to reside around and within each and every one of us. And in Romans 12, 18, the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, you've got to be careful here because our witness is very important. And if we go around judging everyone, it hurts our witness. So he jumps in. He says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Uh, some of us read that verse and think, you know, if we're going to live in peace with people and we're supposed to do all that we can to make that happen, there's a lot of people who are broken and they need to be fixed. And so I'm going to fix them. 
And out of our good intentions, we begin to slide down a slippery slope, only to find out that peace and fixing cannot coexist. I hope you heard me. Peace and fixing cannot coexist. Here's why. Because in order to have, have peace, think about what Jesus did. He often withdrew himself to what? To pray, to a quiet place, to pray. He often withdrew himself to the mountains in order to pray, to reflect, to ask God, to, to seek wisdom from his heavenly Father. You know, if you're always fixing someone, that someone is always looking to be fixed. And, and it's not a healthy relationship. You know, others of us, out of a desire to feel needed, we look for people to fix. Now, I see this a lot. And, and man, I'm just going to be honest with you. we we got to be men here. I see it more in women than I do men. You know, one of the things I like about men is uh, usually they just say it the way it is. Uh, women will say it the way it is, and then they'll, they'll say it with some salt and pepper. And then the next thing you know, uh, uh, you know, if they don't have some kind, I'm not saying this about all women. Now, y'all, you, you men know that, but we're created differently. I mean, they, they leave all of their social windows open, their social doors open, and they can, they can do that. We tend to go, oh, it's Johnny. Johnny, hey, how's work? What's the way you doing? You know, da 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 or something like that. And we, we visit that way. We ask one another about each other. And normally, we don't just jump right in there and try to, to create a problem more, uh, more than than not uh, create a fire that uh, now we feel needed because we are the firemen, right? That's just not really how men work. However, as you deepen relationships one with another, which we're supposed to, if we're not careful, we will find ourselves trying to be the caregivers of others. Now, up to a certain degree, it's not that that's that's necessarily dangerous. It's good to be there. It's good to pray for one another. But praying for one another is different than trying to fix one another. See, our mantra in life can become, if you need me, you'll never leave me. And so a lot of people create fires, if you will, in order to go put them out or, or create problems or ask, hey, what problems do you have? How can I pray for you? And then all of a sudden they become the counselor in the relationship. So I'll point out your faults and then I'll help you fix them. And you've probably known people like that, right? And, and that, that becomes dangerous. The problem is good intention or not, it creates a perpetuating cycle of pain. So, then we wind up finding out, I may be in over my head. A lot of times nowadays as I've become older, I realize I'm not the professional. Probably not even the professional that people think I am, if you want to be honest. I, I, I enjoy the scriptures, I read the scriptures, I love to pour into people with the scriptures, but the help is from the scripture, it's not from me. That's the way I tend to do things. Now, if you are way in over your head and I see that I'm going to be over my head, then I refer them to a professional, right? Because it takes that much time, man. Now, I'm not telling you not to get involved with one another in a healthy way, but you've got to keep it healthy because fixing someone else eventually, especially if you get two, three, four of them hanging by a thread and hanging on your word, and, and yet they're, they're calling and texting and saying, hey, i got to get together tonight. I've got this emergency. This happened. You're not going to believe this happened in my marriage. You're not going to believe that this happened uh, to my child today. You're not going to believe, you know, and all of a sudden we've got so many of, of these that need to be fixed that uh, we ourselves become extremely broken. See, feeling responsible for other people's feelings uh, is not your responsibility. Did you hear me? Feeling responsible for other people's feelings, um, <clears throat> that will never go far uh, in a relationship. The need to please others. You shouldn't need to please others. If you uh, 
have feelings of emptiness. And so the way you're going to fulfill your feelings of emptiness is go out and find someone else's problem. That's a fixer and that's not healthy. If you have a belief that being needed is an essential component to any relationship. Now, now hear this. If you have a belief <clears throat> that being needed is an essential component to any relationship. Now, if we're married, we want them to what? Love us and need us. And as husbands being the provider, that's what we're looking for. However, men, uh, if, if your soul and, and your well-being is dependent on what your spouse thinks of you, careful, because I'm going to tell you something, it changes. <laughs> sometimes on the hour, right? And sometimes with one another. You kind of got to have a little bit of thick skin here. If... <clears throat> Uh, well, let me just go to this. Here are seven red flags of fixers. So uh, as we go through these seven red flags, as a matter of fact, they're going to be on your uh, questions in front of you in a moment. But uh, just think of these with me. Do you become obsessed with fix, fixing and rescuing needy people? And, and by the way, I'll just tell you that a lot of people will come to a church and say, hey, you know, we, we should have a closet ministry, or we should have a food ministry, a pantry, that type of thing. It's not that those are wrong, not, not by any means. But we have to be careful, are we going into that, right, in order to help them. You know, there used to be a joke about Methodist and Baptist, and it went this way. That, that Methodist will feed them, they'll clothe them. Now, I used to be a Methodist. Well, I, I hate to label myself. I'm, I'm a... Uh, Armenian Wesleyan theological guy coming from a historical background of, of Wesleyan theology and Methodism. Now, in saying that, I can say this joke. That's, all, that's the only reason I told you that. So, in, in that, what I would say is that uh, Methodists would clothe, they would uh, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, they'd give drink to the thirsty, they would do all those, but then at the end, they would never tell them why they did it. And the Baptist, right, would leave them starving naked, thirsty, uh, but lead them to Jesus, right? And so that, that used to be a joke. At least the Baptists did this and the Methodists, if they could ever get it together, they might get it right. But the truth is, sometimes we become fixers or try to be fixers of people's problems, of why they are who they are. Now, here's the truth. The truth is found in the Scriptures. Jesus did not want for people to starve. He did not want for people to be thirsty. He did not want people to be naked. But how do we take a person who is that broken, say one on the street, for instance, how do we take a person who is that broken and, and really help them? Well, we bring them to the truth of God. And so the truth is found in this word. Look, Jesus has a lot to say about finances. He has a lot to say about how you do life. He has a lot to say about, about uh, uh, disciplining your life. He has a lot to say about how God will never leave you nor forsake you. So as long as we do it in a healthy way and lead them to Christ, not lead them to us, our thoughts, our ways, our opinions, our values. Now, if your values, of course, are scriptural, that's, I guess that's okay. So here's another one. Are you easily absorbed in the pain and problems of other people? Now, when someone's hurt, of course, sometimes, or you, you see a, a major tragedy, that's a little bit different because we all have love for one another and of course that's going to hurt, but do we get absorbed in that pain where we ourselves cannot be functional based upon what's happening with someone else? Are you trying to control someone? Do you do more than your share all the time? 
Are you always seeking approval and recognition? Would you do anything to hold on to a relationship? Do you fear being abandoned? All those are red flags of fixers. And fixers generally have good intentions. They're doing it for the good of the other person. But fixers never feel valued or appreciated. In fact, no one wants, wants the help from a fixer because here's what fixers need to understand. Uh, fixers need something themselves because they're broken. They're trying to fix and now uh, they're becoming more and more broken because they're caught in this vicious cycle of, of the red flags of fixers. So here's the truth. Matthew 7, 3 through 5. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So here it looks like Jesus is saying, hey, um, you're noticing something wrong with your brother, but yet you've got some major issues yourself. You're trying to be a fixer, but you're very broken. Right? As a matter of fact, he takes it to the place of hypocrite, and we'll talk about that here in just a moment. Jesus said that our attempts to fix others would be appreciated as much as us blindly sticking our finger in a person's eye. Now, you've got to process this morning. That's a run-on sentence. I do it all the time right listen to this statement jesus said that our attempts to fix others would be appreciated as much as us blindly sticking our fingers in a person's eye when we try to fix someone we can render them blind as well we create pain in in their lives and then they create pain in our lives sometimes you try to fix someone because you don't feel like you've got that speck of sawdust right so uh, if you're not a drinker and you're trying to help an alcoholic you're saying well i don't have have that problem try to help this alcoholic now the the attempts to help is is fine it's the attempt to fix there's only one fixer there's only one who who can truly reconcile a sinner right into the ways of the lord and his name is jesus so what we do sometimes is create more pain in their lives and then eventually they create more pain in our lives because at three in the morning when the phone's ringing years ago i had a young man that called me and he said hey uh, i just got fired from my job he actually worked out at a feed yard He's a cowboy guy, and this is when I was in Happy, Texas, and so he asked, he said, I got nowhere to go. My wife kicked me out because uh, I'm on dope, and I just can't get off the dope, and he said, I need a place to stay. Well, we didn't have children at the time. I lived out uh, in Arnie, so I just called, or I just, well, I did. I called Allison and said, hey, I'm just going to have this guy come stay with us for a while until he gets on his feet. Um, you probably don't want to do that. I didn't know it. I had a young colt at the time. It had been given to me by Tuffy Thompson. Some of you don't know who Tuffy Thompson is, but he was the guru uh, for a while and steer tripping in, from this area. He has some beautiful horses. They're branded 96, and he had given me one, had it branded 96 on the hip. He was two years old, and I'd been working him in the round pen uh, every morning. And anyway, this cowboy decided when I left for work that he was going to get in the round pen and work my colt and jumped him over the fence and put a bad cut all the way down his leg, almost ruined my, my horse. And I got so mad because trying to fix him was killing me. Every day it was having to go pick him up somewhere and having to bring him home and, and having to explain to Allison he's only going to be here one more night. And she's like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe. Anyway, here's the truth. I, I didn't realize what I had, had got myself. I thought I was helping the guy. As a matter of fact, about a year later this man really fell off the wagon and uh, he started calling all times during the night. One, one particular night, you'll love this story, one particular night he calls me at about 7 o'clock. And by this time, we'd had our son Wade. He was a little baby at the time. 
and uh, we were living in the parsonage there in Happy, so we had moved into town, and uh, he calls about seven, phone rings, and I said, hey, look, and I, he was higher than a kite, and I said, look, you can't call me, you're, you're back on the dope, da 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 you know, you're not welcome to come over here anymore, because it really created so much tension in our household, about 10 o'clock, he calls again. Um, and so I said, look, you cannot call me. We just put our son down. And in the parsonage, we had an emergency phone. It was found right in the hallway. So midway down the hallway. Now, now listen, you young men, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But we actually on the wall had a rotary phone. You had to dial it this way, right? And it had a really loud ringer. The church had put it in there. So if there was an emergency, anyone could call me. It was an emergency number. Well, he had that number and that phone began to ring down that hallway and it woke my son up. He's crying. Now this time it's about midnight and I said, do not call me again tonight. Well, then he starts threatening and he's going to come over. He's going to do this to me and all this other stuff. About two o'clock in the morning, it rings again. And this is no joke, man. I took that phone and I'm embarrassed to say I tore it out of the wall completely out of the wall and just ripped the cords out and I threw it down out in the hallway all the way down into the living room we had a hallway that went right into the living room there and uh Allison was frustrated she said if you had never got started but you got started in this thing and now we can't get out I said well he ain't gonna call again this is no joke about 30 minutes later that phone started ringing (laughs) you can ask my wife about that and we were like oh my gosh it's possessed you know what listen it can create great pain in your life. Fixing others, always attempting to fix, it, fix others. Now, I'm not telling you not to care. I don't want you to hear that. You're supposed to care. In, in many ways, we bear one another's burdens. But what, am I, what I am telling you is, is point them to Jesus. You know, there's a lot of psychobabble. I, I, I had a, a young man call me yesterday afternoon, and this, this is... Uh, not the three that I was talking about earlier. He called me yesterday afternoon and I said, here's, here's what I want you to do. I said, I want you to see one of these three people. They can help you in your walk with Jesus. You don't need to go to the same psychologist. Here's why, because he's just giving you a bunch of psychobabble. Now, here's the deal with the word psychologist. Psych is what? Any of you know? The soul. All right, well, you psyche, yeah, mind and soul. Yeah, you can tie mind in there in that way. So ology is, of course, the study of. There's only one who knows your soul, and he's the one that created it. If we're trying to get advice from this world and fix others, here's the thing. Um, Their offices are always going to be full. Even a secular psychologist, their office is always going to be full. You know, now it's one of the most up-and-coming professions, that and LPC and coaching all three of those are huge professions now in the United States. Why? Because there are so many broken people that need and want to be fixed. Now, if they're not getting at the soul level, if they're not pointing them to Jesus, the one that created them to help the soul, then what are they doing? They're able to schedule you for another appointment next week because you're still broken. Pay attention to those things. Jesus said that our attempts, like I said, to fix others would be appreciated as much as us blindly sticking our fingers in a person's eye. If you've gone to a psychologist for a year and they've not pointed you to Jesus and you're still going, uh, eventually you're going to say, that hurts. And it may not hurt you right in the eye, but in the pocketbook, it's getting thin. The moment I come to a place where I feel I can see your problems more clearly than my own, listen, I've become a hypocrite. The moment... I come to a place where I feel I can see your problems more clearly than my own. 
I've become a hypocrite. Now, hypocrite, I told you we would cover that because in verse 5, Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly how to remove the speck from your brother's eye. When you take the plank out of your eye, Hebrews takes it a little bit further here. Uh, the author of Hebrews tells us to keep our eyes fixed where? Upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So what Jesus is saying, if you'll take the plank out of your eye, guess what? You might see me. You might just see me, and you might help lead them or point them to me. So a hypocrite, a hypocrite is an actor under an assumed character, a stage player. That comes from the Strong's Concordance. So here's a hypocrite, and a hypocrite, Jesus is saying, hey, you've become one when you can see their problems more clearly than your own. When Scripture describes the work of the Holy Spirit, it says he will convict the world of sin, righteousness and judgment that comes from john 16 8 jesus said those words in the next few verses you'll see what this means john 16 9 through 11 concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because i go to the father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged what's he talking about the scripture doesn't say the holy spirit will point out our faults finding fault is not the work of the holy spirit and it's not a spiritual gift finding fault now i'm not talking about conviction i'm talking about us finding fault in others all right now conviction is another thing the holy spirit will convict it's an attempt to end our own pain by controlling and forcing others to change do you hear me it's attempt to to help our own pain by seeing us and and by the way when you help someone you feel better now, jesus said look go and be the servant of all right he he gives us that but i'm i'm talking about fixing others if we refuse to consider the plank in our own eye, continue to search for the sawdust in the eyes of others, we run the risk of leading others astray because we cannot see clearly. So what do we do? Here's what we do. I've already said it. You focus on Jesus, not faults. Judgment is focusing on the faults of others. And, and what does Jesus say? Do not judge. So when we focus on the faults of others, now let's say that somebody brings their fault to us. That's fine. What does the Word of God say about the fault? All right, this is why we have to be students of the Word of God, men. You know, I, I, I praise God for the requests that I get, oftentimes just because I know people are finally searching for what? They're searching for their true north. They're searching for the truth. The truth is not, the only truth that's in me is, is really the Word of God and what it's doing in me. Now, I can't always help. Sometimes it's, like I said, way beyond me. But we need one another, and I'm not telling you not to be there for one another. I'm saying be careful if you are a fixer, if you're looking to go out and fix everyone's problems. Guys, I'm going to tell you, with, with pastors, a lot of pastors come into ministry because they feel like it gives them credence. They feel like it gives them some type of justification for their life. And so they're actually looking to go out and, and, and fix others because it's filling a need that they have. It tells them, hey, I'm of value. But that's not where your value comes from. Your value comes from not being a fixer. Your value comes from being a follower, a follower of Jesus Christ. So what do we do? We focus on Jesus, not faults. Hebrews 3.1, fix your eyes, your thoughts on Jesus. Transformation doesn't happen by focusing on what is wrong. People are transformed into whatever holds their attention. So whatever holds their attention. Now, this is going to become very important in just a moment. Paul Seifert taught me this years ago. And he was actually not even talking on judgment. 
But I love this scripture. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians 3.18 in just a minute. But Hebrews 12.2 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Our call to follow Jesus is a call to a life that is focused on him. He should become the center of our lives. When he is not the focus, he is no longer the influence. When Jesus is not the focus, he is no longer the influence. <laughs> we become the influence. And come on, man, it's like I said Sunday, you don't want to be the center of the universe. You want God to have that one, right? You, you don't want to be the center because if you're the center of the universe in your marriage, what happens? She doesn't think so. I'll tell you right now. I call all your wives. Right? God's supposed to be the center, so let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Our call to follow Jesus is a call to a life that is focused on him, and he should be the center. And when he is not the focus, he is no longer the influence. So the compulsion to pull the sawdust out of everyone else's eye is based on our own judgment. Now, we have to think about this even from the pulpit, because there's a compulsion to call out sin in this world, because what we see is sin on the rise. And by the way, every generation has. You know that? I mean, what did your papa say about you? You spool rotten kid. Y'all don't know how it was for me. And what did his papa say about him? Man, y'all have no idea. Even though you lived through the Great Depression, you don't know what it was in the late 1890s fighting the Comanches. I don't know if he said that or not. I just made that one up. But the compulsion is oftentimes to look at the sin, and, and, and because we know that Jesus overcame the sin, sometimes we say, hey, let's rid the sin. But what you have to do is see the person. And as you see that person, and most importantly, can lead that person to Jesus in the one truth by you yourself focusing on Jesus, then, then we start getting in a healthy paradigm. Because the one who is responsible for the soul, that soul has now been brought back to him. The best thing men you can do when fixing you is killing them, or, or I'm sorry, fixing them is killing you. When that happens, the best thing you can do is to make sure that you get in the word that you pray over and, and lead them to Jesus. If you have trouble yourself, if you're in a relationship and you go, man, I'm always having to try to fix them, fix them, fix them, fix them. And if you're an employer, uh, sometimes you know what I'm talking about. You, you may have a construction company and out there and you're like, man, I have such a turnover. Because good help's hard to find these days, right, men? And I have such a turnover. And you're like, man, and if they don't turn over, then I'm just sitting here hoping I can get them fixed so that one day they'll be what I hired them to be or to become. Listen, we're not called to be the fixers. What we're called is to lead them to Jesus and let Jesus begin to put them back together because we're all jars of clay. The same thing, men, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we are transformed. We ourselves become transformed. 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So he's saying we're all with unveiled faces. Now who had the veiled face? Because to understand the scripture, you kind of need to know what's being referenced here. Uh, the Apostle Paul's referencing Moses, and when Moses was up on the mount, he had what was known as Shekinah glory upon him. But that's because he had been in the presence of the Lord. So when people tended to look upon Moses, it was hard for them to see him. So uh, he had been in the presence of the Lord. If you remember, it was uh, Moses who said, Exodus 33, 18, uh, it was Moses who said, i got to remember how he said it, and I hope I told you the right verse. <laughs> but I believe that's, it's either, yeah, it has to be 33. 
So this is what he says. He says, I want to see your glory. And the Lord says, no one sees my glory and lives. And so he hides Moses in the cleft, right, of the cliff, and God's glory goes by. But Moses wanted to focus. Now, here's what he says. We with unveiled faces, we don't have to have anything between us and the Lord. We with unveiled faces behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. The Lord, the glory of the Lord, and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. In other words, we are transformed by beholding Jesus. What does that look like in your life? You know, I'll take you back many, many years ago when instead of someone fixing me, I learned what it meant to behold him. I needed help. I needed myself to be fixed. See, and, and, and I needed to, to learn what it was to look into a mirror and see Christ, to behold the image of Christ. And, and it wasn't a man that did this. I had a, an older colonel in the army who I don't know why he just kind of took me under his wing. And he started inviting me over to his house and leading me in Bible studies. Well, at the same time, I had dated a, uh, a girl for uh, a couple of years. I had left for the army. You, you know what it is. It's Dear John. I got the Dear John letter. It may, many of you may not have, but she, uh, she decided that uh, it was funny. She actually, she, anyway, she actually come to, came all the way out to see me to say, hey, um, we're done. I met a guy that reminds me of you at Texas A&M. And I was like, man, I can't stand Aggies even. Anyway, I'm just kidding. If you're Aggies, I, I, I love them today. But in the day, I got a little bit hostile over it. And, and I'll tell you, I, I, I just couldn't eat. I was just heartbroken. I just knew that this was God's will for my life. I started praying, and, and this colonel started, started helping me and everything. But he never said anything about my situation. He just had a Bible study, and he'd have me over for Bible study. And, and he'd have three Bibles open, and we'd go from this passage, and then we'd go sit in this seat and, and sit here. And then he actually wrote hymns, and he would play hymns. He had never married. He was a chaplain for the Army, and uh, his name was Colonel Steffi. And I've just never forgotten him, but he never would get into my problem with me. And I would say, hey, you know, I've got a broken heart. I mean, I've never been in love before. This was my first girlfriend, da 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 and, he'd be, and, and then he'd say, okay, but I want us to study what James has to say. That's, that's a great problem you got. But, but let's talk about the Scripture for just a minute, because I have you over here to teach you the Scriptures. And so he began, and one night I had a dream. And in this dream, I was at a revival, which at that time in my life, I would never go to a revival, man. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I wasn't at that place in my life. In this dream, I was at a revival, and there was a huge stage, and it was packed out, thousands and thousands of people. I walked up to about the third row. I started walking down the third row, and midway down the third row, there is this girlfriend of mine. And she saw me, and she stood up, and I was going to hug her, and I was, I was like, hey, I'm so glad you're here, you know, da-da-da-da, I can't believe we're both here, you know. And her friends jumped in between her and said, she doesn't want to talk to you right now, and pulled her away. And, and so I kept trying to get to her, and they kept pulling her further and further away down this aisle, and it was so crowded that I finally just sat down in the chair, and I put my head in my hands, and I started crying. And, and this is all in a dream. And all of a sudden, I had somebody sit down beside me in the dream, and they reached over, and they took my hand. And I looked, I looked up and just glanced from the side, and it was Jesus. And he said, that's what you need to do is focus on me. 
And I tell you, this is, this is also terrible. Someone had put a picture, uh, actually a clock, that in the bottom of the clock, I, it, they were just being silly, in a bathroom on, in, in one of the post buildings, and I had remembered it, and it had a picture of Jesus in the, in the bottom of that clock, and I went and I, I tore that picture of Jesus out, and I started carrying it, and every time she crossed my mind, I would look at that picture of Jesus, and I started sleeping at night, uh, I started just beholding him every time. I didn't even realize at that time that I was actually working this out through Scripture. But God, within two weeks, I was a different person. I just put my mind on Christ. I started going to church. I started doing things that, that, that would put my mind, help me put my mind on Christ. Man, the most help I'll ever be to you in your problems is this. And the most help you'll ever be with someone else and their problems is being able to lead them through God's word to Jesus. That's it. So what Colonel Steffi was doing with me was far more help than I ever realized. He didn't get in my problem with me. Uh, I mean, he was a he was a full bird who had been, you know, in wars and everything else. He didn't even tell me about about those things. What he did is he would sit down and he would open the word to me. And guess what? My eyes were open and I was transformed. That's the greatest thing we can do one for another. Your questions are short this morning. There's a lot of them. <laughs> but when it's yes and no, it moves pretty quick. So I want you to look at some of these things. There's some identifiers as fixers. Um, I think it's a good thing because I, I always believe the first step to responsibility is what? Awareness. And so if you are aware that you're a fixer, then you can say, hey, Lord, show me. I want to be compassionate towards my brothers in Christ and my sisters in Christ. Show me how I can lead them to you. Father God, thank you for these men this morning. Uh, thank you for the message. And Lord, help us to grow up so that we can live in peace with everyone. In Jesus' name, amen.